We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in everyone to episode 59 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, we apologize for the for the week off there. Um, schedules got crazy. Life gets crazy. That stuff happens. But we are back today. We're going to discuss Mitch Kupchak. Looks like he's on the verge of becoming the Hornets' next president of basketball operations and general manager. Uh, we're going to talk some draft prospects again. You know, we'll talk the end of the season for the Hornets here. Um, they absolutely destroyed the Magic last night uh, by 37, by the way. So we'll talk about that a little bit, whatever is left of the Orlando Magic. Um, and also, we'll, we'll get into uh, we'll get into some some lottery scenarios. Um, the Hornets aren't locked in at the 11th spot yet in the draft. They can actually jump up to 10. So we'll discuss that a little bit and a lot of other stuff. So before we get into all that, do not forget we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Check out AlmightyBaller.com for lots of other great content uh, land across the landscape of the NBA. And then our good friends at SportsChannel8.com. Um, they're at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter, uh, and they've got an awesome, uh, had, had a great, really exciting uh, announcement last week about their radio show they now have on Saturdays. Um, and before we jump in here, Brian, I just want you to kind of tell our listeners a little bit about that because that's really, really exciting news. Yeah, if you live in the, uh, the, the, the Triangle area, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, it's every Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Sports Channel 8, the radio show. It's going to be, I think we're going to cover a lot of stuff. It should be a lot of fun. It won't always be sportsy. If you know Sports Channel 8, it's going to be fun. There's going to be bits of bits of humor in there, but it's going to be densely loyal to North Carolina sports and topics. So the Hornets, the Hurricanes, um, yeah, I'll be doing a lot of Hornets stuff on there. NC State basketball, UNC basketball, you know, Wake Forest football, whatever you want, we'll be talking it on it, and we'll have some good guests, uh, including uh, new Pitt basketball coach Jeff Capel is going to join us for our first show this weekend, which is cool too. So, if you're in the area, 99.9 The Fan, Saturday mornings from 10 a.m. 
to 12 p.m. And there's going to be a best of podcast put up on WRLSportsFan.com. And you can also stream the show from there if you don't live in the, the, the radius of, of the show. You can get it in Internet's flat. So you can find it out there. And I'll make sure to make sure links and stuff like that are available as we go, go forward here. But yeah, please listen. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't think it's going to sound like your stereotypical sports talk radio show going to have a lot of voices and I think it's going to be a fun, inclusive, humorous conversation. Yeah. You guys got to listen to that. I'm really excited for it. Um, I'm obviously thrilled, you know, with the partnership and friendship Mm -hmm. we have with sports channel eight and, uh, those guys, it's the best sports coverage in North Carolina. They do such a good job. They keep it fresh. They, you know, they keep it comical. They keep it light. I mean, it, it is, it is the way to go in terms of, um, you know, educating yourself on anything sports in North Carolina. So congrats, to the Sports Channel 8 crew uh, over there, uh, led by Hayes Permar, the fearless leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, r- really works hard. And uh, your roommate, right, Brian? Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. That is correct. Also, the voice of the Carolina Mudcats, if you're a single A baseball fan in the Carolina League, he's the PA voice of that five county stadium. But yeah, Hayes is, okay. yeah, Hayes is the, the godfather <laughs> of Sports Channel 8. Great follow on Twitter. And, um, yeah, on a, on a personal level, as a guy that's just done a lot for me, uh, I definitely wouldn't be doing this pod with you guys without, you know, his help and his encouragement over the last couple of years. So big help to me, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun getting to do the show with him. I'm excited for it. Awesome. All right, shout out Sports Channel Eight. Shout out Hayes. Um, all right, guys. Well, let's let's jump in here. Um, first, Richie, what's going on? You you're, you're on spring break. You're at the end of your spring break. Um, are you on like the, uh, the seventh day of your bender? Like what's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a relaxing, relaxing, uh, breaks. Um, you know, we went down to Florida for a wedding, uh, and that was a long, long drive down to Gainesville. And I felt like I was, my butt was sore. My legs were sore. I had a stretch every so often. I would rather fly and deal with the airport than drive seven hours. If, if it's something over like three hours, it's 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 a pain it's brutal uh but uh got back from florida several days ago and i have been a little bit out of the loop when it comes to hornets basketball just because i haven't been able to keep up with the games not that they're all that meaningful but uh, i saw that they won last night against the magic which in my mind they shouldn't have i mean especially considering the fact that we're right there uh with the 10th spot in the draft with the lakers winning but what, what can you say? That's what the Hornets do. They win when they're not supposed to and lose uh, against teams that they shouldn't. So, But I, I'm, I'm doing well, and I will preface this by saying that my uh, speaking parts on this episode will be a little bit few and far between, and I'll let you guys kind of hit the bigger topics when it comes to the draft prospects. No doubt. Glad to hear you've gotten that week off. I know you've needed it. Uh, but the finish line's not far ahead for you. The end of the school year is really Nine coming weeks. up. Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Well, I... <laughs> I don't think the Hornets should have won last night either, but it would have been damn hard to outtake the Magic last night. Like, (laughs) holy moly. I mean, I I didn't watch that game live. I went back and watched the condensed version last night. Um, They started DJ Augustine. Tell me if I'm wrong, Brian. Wesley Awandu, who we loved last year in the Mm -hmm. draft, but, like, he's not a starter yet. Who else? Hazonia has taken just, like, all the shots. The offense is basically running through Hazonia right now. Like, that team, oh, that is just, whoa. And poor Frank Vogel. I mean, just dead man walking. Never got a fair shake there. I still think he's a good coach. I mean, he maybe he hasn't evolved in the NBA or evolved with the NBA as well as he could have. But 
that is just such a terrible situation in Orlando. Yep. So, bad. Anyway. All right, well, let, let's get in here and try to talk uh, some of the important stuff. It looks like Mitch Kupchak uh, will be named president of basketball operations slash general manager, whatever that <laughs> title uh, lands at. But he's going to be calling the shots in the front office. And, uh, you know, we've we've speculated on this since the, the first rumor months ago. Figured this is exactly what would happen. No, no one is surprised. You know, the Mark Eversley interview, the Gerson Rojas interview, pretty much pure PR. Mm-hmm. Um, probably some policy uh, in the NBA saying you, you have to interview so many people or you have to interview at least one minority candidate, something along those lines. Um, so Hornets, for all we know, just just following league protocol and getting a few more names out there. But here we are, Mitch Kupchak, GM and... You know, I put this out on Twitter yesterday. I'm not I'm not optimistic about how this is going to go. I, I'm not to the point where I can like explain to you in bullet point detail why I'm not, other than the fact that you know this is MJ's boy. They've had a long-standing relationship from their Carolina connections. You know, Kupchak comes from a dynasty or a once a one-time dynasty with the Lakers, four championships. Um, you know, that's on the backs of Shaquille O'Neal and especially Kobe Bryant. But uh, I just, you know, Jordan went the analytical route, tried to think, tried to hire somebody that's going to think a little bit more outside the box and be a little bit more up with times to where the NBA is now in terms of scouting and, and player development, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't work out. Did he give it a fair chance to work out? That's a different conversation, but it didn't work out. So now it looks like Jordan is kind of going back to more of the old school model. And I think, you know, in in, a, in broad terms, that's what Mitch Kupchak represents here, for better or for worse. So that said, uh, Brian, let's let's go to you first. Well, what are your just your initial thoughts about this? This seems I, I agree with you, Spencer. It seems like a pretty retrograde hire, to be to be totally honest with you. I mean, the name Mitch Kupchak, you just you think. 2000 Lakers or <laughs> you don't think pace and space NBA, how do you build a team in, in the modern NBA in a small market? Um, you know, I want to be optimistic and look, maybe cup is the, is the guy for the job cert is the guy for the job. And seems like he maybe is planning on shaking some of the stuff up and perhaps that'll have some nice trickle down, uh, positive impacts on the, the franchise. And he did some, he did do some good stuff in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I think Andrew Bynum is sort of the one notable young draft pick that he got later in the first round that, that sort of is a, is a feather in his cap a little bit, but yeah, I'm worried. This does not seem like the kind of guy that you would bring in to a, to a situation in a small market with salary books that are tied up. That isn't in necessarily contend for championship, <laughs> not necessarily. That's definitely not in <laughs> contend for championship Look, when he was in L.A. for two decades, he did a great job building these top-heavy rosters and in finding guys to complement Shaq and Kobe and, and Gasol later in the second half of, of, of that run when they were still winning championships. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't finding guys in the G League. It wasn't finding guys in, in Europe. It just it's the the game is is so different now. What will what he'll be asked to do is different than constructing those rosters in Los Angeles. It doesn't mean he can't do it. In fact, maybe he's maybe he maybe he'll be even better at that than what he had to do in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I 
I'm a little skeptical and it doesn't really help that his last summer running the Lakers in 2016 is a summer that they paid Mozgov a bazillion dollars. They played Luau Dang a bazillion dollars. Like that's not really uh, super, super duper and encouraging. And they had a chance to mix it up. Spencer, you talked about some of these names. They mentioned Gerson Rojas, Mark Eversley, but they stayed predictable middle of the road and they went the chapel Hill route. It's just so predictably MJ Hornets that it, it just really, that is a little disappointing. And you know, Spencer, like you said too, what was the point of releasing all these names a few weeks ago? Really? Was it just following league protocol or, or was it PR fodder for parts of the fan base? Or did they actually consider these guys and then still decide to go cup check? You know, we won't, we won't know that. And it's going to be hard for whomever takes the job of the Hornets to sort of the next two, three seasons to, to best fit this roster. But uh, it's going to be a challenge for Mitch Kupchak. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be along the ride to see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with everything that you guys have said. I think there's probably not many Hornets fans out there that are, like, excited about this hire. I think a lot of them are very cautiously optimistic at best. And I think that kind of that's, – that's probably me, cautiously optimistic. Uh, I think that there's a lot of things that, that tend to lean on the negative side. I mean, starting with the North Carolina ties, you know, that's always – a negative in my mind because you always view that with the yes man that, that Michael Jordan always hire. Uh, you have the fact that Mitch Kupchak, like you guys said, uh, he dealt with the team. Well, first off, it's a totally different market. Uh, you know, L.A. compared to Charlotte, Lakers in the 2000s compared to Charlotte right now as a franchise, two completely different places. And attracting someone to go to L.A. versus attracting someone to come to Charlotte is just two different things. And so that's going to be a different challenge for, for Mitch Kupchak in that front. But I will say one thing, and I think, Spencer, you mentioned this maybe two episodes ago. Uh, go back and listen to it. You said something to the effect of maybe if we do hire Mitch Kupchak, Michael Jordan might take a back seat because he has that respect for him. Uh, he's, he's, he's older, obviously. He has more experience. Even though there's North Carolina ties, maybe Mitch Kupchak can say, hey, if I'm going to be the GM, and I'm, this might be why it's taking a little bit longer because the reports of, of him being the GM have been out there for a while. I want full control. I want final say. If I want to make a move, I don't want you overriding it, and, and I want you to take a back seat. Now, that supposedly was supposed to happen with Rich Cho as well, and we kind of saw how that turned out. But I think there is something to that. I think that Mitch Kupchak, with his experience, even though they may be good friends, uh, he might have that experience and final say to get those get those transactions that he wants. Whether those transactions are going to be ones that we agree with is a, is another conversation altogether. But I do think that that could be a positive, a could. Uh, but again, I'm still cautiously optimistic about this hire. Yeah, no, I think that's why it could work, right? Like the respect factor there, um, you know, the experience Mitch Mitch Kupchak has, the relationships he has developed. For better, for worse. I mean, that's the other thing I think about with this is, you know, what what are the other 29 GMs in the league, you know, sitting back and saying when they see this Mitch Kupchak hire, are they smelling blood in the water with a capped out roster with, you know, he's going to have to start making moves, going to have to make a salary dump. That could be a simple trade. That could be a very complex superstar driven trade. So, like, what are the other GMs in the league thinking? My inclination would be and I'm, I'm just throwing darts here is it you know you know houston or you know some of these smarter front offices you know name your you know out, outside of the box front office 
are probably circling Charlotte right now mm-hmm. and and ready to take advantage of what seems like, you know, like, are, are they seriously doing this? Are they Is Michael Jordan seriously going to hire Mitch Kupchak? Um, this is, they were moving away from this. You know, they were starting to do it the right way. We, we couldn't, you know, we, we couldn't get them to do a bad deal when Rich Cho was there. He's too smart. And I'm not saying that Kupchak's not a smart guy. I'm just saying, like, this is going to revert back to more like the, the good old boys club. You know, scratch your back, I scratch yours. You know, backroom handshakes. The, the way it used to work in the NBA and, and a lot of other things, for that matter. It's not the way this world is today that we live in. And I just don't know if Mitch Kupchak is going to be able to make the transition to the guys running front offices in the NBA today. I, I don't know... I just don't know if he, how much he knows that game, understands that game. Um, this isn't a back deal, backroom deal type of league anymore, and and that's what he comes from. So, you know, I think it's interesting. But Richie, what you said and what you brought up is yes, why I think it can work is that at least, at least Jordan might take his hands off more and let Mitch Kupchak run the show for better or for worse. Doesn't mean Mitch Kupchak's going to make the right decisions. Right. But at least we get Jordan out of that decision-making process, and maybe long-term, you know, that's a step in the right direction for this franchise. I don't know. I, I'm kind of looking for anything at this point. But yeah, you, you, try, you try to stay positive, and the thing is, like, you look back at some of the the moves that we've made over the you know the recent years, and a lot of the bad ones typically are tied to Michael Jordan. You know, Frank Kaminsky. Yeah. You know, who who knows? Maybe Monk was was uh, like we said was Michael Jordan's. We speculate. Yeah. We certainly speculated about that. It, the thing with MJ that that sort of interests me, and I, I've said this before on this podcast, is he doesn't he doesn't step in when you're trying to figure out. Hey, can we? Can we, um, you know, can we squeeze Michael Carter Williams in at the minimum? So we we get under, you know, can we get Ramon <laughs> Sessions on the mid level? He he comes in for the big free agents, the big trades, and for draft night. Yep. You know these sort of these sort of higher profile, higher leverage moves. In but really, it's that small stuff that building on the edges that Cho tried and he was creative and mm-hmm. you know just had some some bad certainly some some bad luck. Uh, the the last two summers, and admittedly, his hands were tied. So, um, you know, with in terms of, they just didn't really have a lot of space to fit some of these guys in. And um, but so that that's tough. That that is tough. That Cho tried some stuff that had a small margin for error, and it sort of, you know, blew up on him to to an extent. So we'll we'll see. We'll we'll see how Mitch handles those cuz that's how cuz the way you the way you put together a roster, those small moves on the margin, those are so critical. And um yeah, I just I, I don't know if those are things that Mitch has had to do with a developing franchise ever before. Yeah, well, um, and certainly point, not in the modern yeah. NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to that point, Brian, I mean, that's a good transition. The last thing I wanted to talk about with this Mitch Kupchak thing is um, you know, there is to me an obvious priority number one, and that is fixing the cap situation. That's certainly debatable. There's a lot of things that are important this offseason, but the Hornets are capped out as the roster is today. They're going to be in the tax. So there's undoubtedly going to be a salary dump coming. Uh, Jeremy Lamb is probably the obvious um, <clears throat> tart. You know, he, he's probably the dead man walking, so to speak, I guess there to be moved. Um, so let's throw it to you guys real quick. Brian is, do you see this being more of a situation where Cupcheck comes in and he looks at a more complex trade, or we're going to see something as simple as Jeremy lamb 
you know, get shipped out or, or, or Michael K. Gilchrist, you know, one of those kind of deals. Yeah. I, so it's interesting. I guess my, my, for the first thing, and I would base it off this, the first thing I'm doing, if I'm hired as GM of the Hornets is I'm talking to Kemba and I'm trying to figure out, Hey, how, how serious are you about being here beyond 2019? Um, and if he's, if he's, if he gives me enough of, and again, nothing's can't, you know, until it's signed, nothing's official, but if he gives me, I, I think Kemba's a guy that you can take out his word. If he gives uh-huh. me enough of an inclination that, Hey, I, I want to be here. I, I want to have a statue outside the spectrum center. I, I want to be the best Hornet of all time. Jersey retired, all of that. Then I try to figure out a way to a build around Kemba going forward. And while also not mortgaging the future five to six years from now, I'm trying to do the thing where I'm building on two different timelines, which maybe that's not in terms of game theory. That's not a great perspective, but let's assume Kemba does want to be here. Then, then yeah, I'm trying to find a a cheaper, I'm not, I'm not trying the shape of my salary dump is not going to be superstar driven with Kemba Walker. It would be something more on the margins. Like you said, Jeremy lamb is sort of the, the obvious candidate, maybe Michael kid Gilchrist lamb's probably easier just cause he makes a, probably 60% and he's on an expiring contract now and he can shoot threes. So he's probably, you know, and, and it would just, it would, it would be disappointing to see Charlotte part ways with a guy that really came into his own this season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think again, it sort of depends. It would depend on what Kemba would say and in, in the, the direction that MJ wanted to go in with the franchise. I don't think you could knock them if, if they decided to, to try to move Kemba or yeah, yeah. Kemba specifically, but it would just be, I would be a little worried new GM that's never had to swing this type of trade before with, as Spencer said, rival GM sort of circling. I would just be worried that they would be getting the short end of the stick and that they just, it seems like they don't have a lot of leverage in that, in that type of transaction, which worries me. Yeah, no, you're. I mean, you're exactly right, Brian. The first thing they have to do is they have to talk. Kupchak has to talk to Kim and figure out where his head's at, um, and that is going to be the first domino that mm-hmm. depicts everything after that. Um, so everything's on the table. Uh, we don't know anything right now. All we know is that the Hornets and Michael Jordan had some version of a trade discussion with Kimball Walker involved in it. That's the only shred of evidence we have so far um of where things could go from here and just in my opinion if jordan kicked the tires in some way whatever you believe that way is with kimba at the deadline then to me when Cupcheck comes in that's probably going to happen again um you know I, I have no doubt that kimba loves charlotte i have no doubt he enjoys the city he enjoys the fans he loves playing here but I do have a doubt that there hasn't been some damage, some residual damage done from those trade rumors coming out between Jordan and Kimba. Maybe I hope I'm wrong. I would love to see yeah. Kimba in Charlotte long term, but I just I can't imagine that Kimba is not holding that close to him. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think I mean I do think his since that came out. I guess the first you know last week of January, first week of February, somewhere around then. I do think his, his tone has changed a little bit of like, um, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Like I, I, I'm, I'm going to be a Hornet too. Hey, I'm here as long as you guys will have me, you know? I mean, even after he set the scoring record, uh, last week, his post game press conference, I think at least he had to answer at least one question, um, about you, you, what his future looks like in the next 18, 24 months. 
it, and yeah, I do think his thing is, Hey, we'll see what happens. And but I'm, you know, I'm here as long as the team is employing me, which yeah. is different from, Hey, I'm, I'm a lifer. Uh, and he has every right to do literally whatever he wants. Kemba Kemba's earned that equity plus, plus some. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And what I'm, that's kind of exactly what I'm trying to get at. And I, yeah, I, I think I do want to be on record saying that I, I do think that they're going to trade Kemba this off season. Mm. It, it just feels like an, an inevitable situation. And Brian, you, you said perfectly right there. What I was kind of trying to say is that it, it does feel like if you're really paying attention, the narrative out of Kimba's mouth is, is changing a little bit, but he, but he's trying hard not to change it. But, right. if, but, but if you're really reading the tea leaves and you're reading in between the lines and you're hearing what he's saying and you're seeing the emotion that he's showing it, it, it and again, we're guessing, but it does feel like a guy who knows, damn, this is coming to an end. I and think, yeah, I think the predicament is like, if, if you're trying to get off these bad contracts and, and relieve us of some, some wiggle room with the cap situation, Kimba's almost has to go out and attach him to one of those bad contracts because yeah, if, we, if right. we're talking about just trading Jeremy Lamb and trying to get under that tax line, sure that's great and all, but again, who knows? Kimba still might leave after the year, it, it, so we might as well just explore the options and and see what we can do. Uh, release some of these bad contracts. I mean, I don't know if we just wait out a year w- with Dwight because we only have one more season with him. But, you know, I don't know what we do with the Batum deal, uh, if we attach yeah. that with Kimba and try to build for the future. Because we could do, like you said, just trade trade Lamb and, and try to get slowly under the cap or under the tax line. But, again, that, that might not work out, and Kimba might leave, leave us in a year as well. So I, I think, like you said, Spencer, the first thing they're going to do is actually explore those trade options with Kimba. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't, it would be a disaster to have Kemba leave for nothing. Like yes. that would be a complete organizational failure top to bottom. If Kemba somehow walked in 2019 at the least without a, a sign in trade desperation move that summer. I mean, anything short of that again is a complete failure. The, it would is Richie, you brought up a couple of interesting names. I mean, it is, if you could somehow, and again, all hypothetical, I don't want them to move Kemba, even though I think there's a good chance it could happen. But if you could somehow attach that Batum deal to Kemba and you know Dwight's expiring in a year, like all of a sudden in 2019, uh-huh. after you could you'd be really bad next season, but maybe you get a top five pick and your books would be pretty clean. Again, that's I, I don't know if that Batum contract is even remotely movable, but you know, Marvin would be sort of the only older guy still getting paid beyond into 2020. And he'd only be expiring a year from now. Basically, like you could very quickly reset the books if you could somehow attach Batum to Kemba. Um, yeah, but you know, I don't know. I don't know how likely that is, though. Yeah, I, I, I think it would have been seeing a situation like that. I think this past trade trade deadline this season, mm-hmm. a situation like that would have been more realistic. Like I don't think Kemba's trade value has gone that far south like most people do just because another half season is gone i think that his trade value in terms of putting a contract like nick batum along with him has dropped if that makes yeah. sense yeah you know, I agree. so like no, totally I, I, and that's like where you have to draw the line in the sand if you're going to trade kimba if if you're trying to attach the batum contract and you're able to work out a deal with a team like that like i just can't imagine what you're getting back is actually worth it at that point to trade Kimba. Like it, if that's going to be the deal, then just hang on to Kimba until the deadline next year. 
there's there's some situations where his like value could rise because people are desperate. It's midseason; they want to totally. win. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. the Hornets are going to have to eat one of these contracts. Whether yeah. it's Marvin Williams, whether it's Nick Batum, who's probably going to be Dwight mm-hmm. comes off the books next year. I mean, MKG ain't looking too pretty. Like they're just going to have to eat some. That I mean, there's just no way to completely clear the books. And if you can just trade Kimba for assets and not get off one of those contracts, I even think that's a win. You know totally. what I mean? Because because the more totally. you try to attach to Kimba, that's the less value you're getting back. Oh, and, I, and I think the whole point is that you totally. want to get value. So anyways, just it, this is a comp- very complex situation, and we've talked about it tons of times. It's all because of the summer of 2016 and having to hand it out, uh, you know, the Marvin Williams and Nick Batum contracts. And – it's, it's just really, really difficult, and I'm not psyched about Mitch Kupchak coming in and handling it, but we'll should, see how it goes. should also be mentioned, he does have a track record with Dwight Howard. That's not exactly sterling from their, their very brief stint together for a year in Los Angeles. That includes Kupchak trading for Dwight, seeing him leave in free agency a year later. And there is, you can find the video of it pretty easily, of those two guys having a little bit of a hallway tunnel. No, I don't know if altercation is probably too strong of a word, but Dwight Lee exiting, I think it's a playoff game in 2013, him walking past Mitch and those two guys having a, a bit of a, an interaction. So it, it will be interesting to see how and what the relationship is. If Mitch Kupchak is in fact the GM and Dwight Howard is, is in Charlotte beyond the summer of 2018. It's a good point. Um, and not only that, Brian, but let's talk about just really quickly and then we got to move on but um there's some buzz out there um i'm reading on it last night i'd seen a little bit of it last week but there's actual reports i'll get this last name wrong but gary uh warfel or waffle i i I don't know (laughs) is that anyways i can spell the name out for you guys later if you want to hit me up on twitter but there's a report out there that steve clifford is expected to not be retained this offseason um so you know that's something else to watch. And that, if you listen to um, if you listen to the low post, you know Zach Lowe talks about it last week. Some coaching candidates that are kind of walking the tightrope, and they discuss Clifford too. And th- there's a lot of people out there right now. It sounds like within the GM coaching circles that that don't expect Steve Clifford. You know, it's a little confusing. I, I would imagine a lot of that is tied up and in. But you know, Mitch Kupchak and Steve Clifford have a have a history. Uh, from yeah. when Clifford was in LA. was with the Lakers, you know, um, the same uh, point where you know Clifford and Dwight were together in LA. So, I, you know, we don't know anything about their relationship, but that would um, boy oh boy, you would talk about a fan base that's not happy, or not thrilled about this GM hiring, and then if he went and fired Clifford, I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that would be a tough take, I think, for this fan base. But it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I was literally yeah. going to ask you guys just quickly before we moved on to the uh, the draft prospects, and I turned my mic off. But uh, yes or no, <laughs> yes or no, yes or no, do you think Clifford's going to be back next year? Like, literally, right before you brought that up, Spencer, I was getting ready to ask that. Like, if you just had a one-word answer, yes or no, do you think Clifford will be coaching next year? What would you say? Yes, I bet yes, but I feel not – I'm – I'm not, I don't want to qualify too much. I'll say yes, but I'm not feeling gr- any level of confidence. Yeah, I'm sort I lean of hedging towards no. there. I lean towards no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lean towards no as well, Richie. And I, I think that that opinion is tied up in the fact that I also think they're going to trade Kimba Walker. I think if they trade Kimba Walker. I think they pre- press reset. Like 
Clifford has one year left on his deal. I, the buyout wouldn't be too intense or too tough to take. Mm-hmm. At that point, I think they just start. They just press reset across the entire organization because Kupchak's. I mean, he's going to completely change the scouting process. He's going to bring in a lot of new people from there. I mean, I think this is just going to be a complete avalanche of change. That's what it feels like. So, yeah, I would say no. All right. I think it, I think it would be one last thing, and then we, we definitely got to move on. I think it would it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Steve Clifford to have a, a year a paid you know a paid year sabbatical out watch tape, not deal with the stresses of coaching. What is probably not going to be a great NBA team next season. If that were, if he were retained by Charlotte Mm -hmm. and one of the names we've heard thrown out as a possible candidate. I mean, make all the UNC jokes you want, but Jerry Stackhouse is as a, another UN part of the UNC mafia, but the Stackhouse is certainly an interesting young coaching prospect. I'll say that. And if you were sort of trying to hit the reset button and you, you moved Kemba and you were going young team, well, all of, or the vast majority of, of stacks coaching experience, certainly all that as a head coach is in the G league with younger guys. So if you, if you were going that, that sort of teardown route Stackhouse makes some sense um, in terms of his, his job on his job experience and stuff like that. All right. Um, uh, good point, Brian. I'm not ready to have that conversation. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. This not yet. My sanity, but we'll cross um, that bridge yeah, later. Point. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll become crazier at a later yeah. date. Let, let's talk some draft prospects, but quickly before we get into that, there is a scenario in which the Hornets could put themselves odd wise odds wise, I should say, um, in a place to get the 10th pick and that's contingent on the Lakers. So just real quickly, the Hornets finish with Indiana twice mm. at uh, tomorrow, Sunday. We're recording this Saturday morning. So tomorrow they'll play Indiana at home at 1 o'clock, and then they finish the season at Indiana Tuesday. The Lakers have <coughs> Utah. Yeah, so. Utah Sunday, Tuesday, Houston, Wednesday. Um, they're at home, on the road, whatever, <laughs> against the Clippers. So it's not looking likely that the Hornets are going to jump into the, into the 10th spot in terms of lottery standings. Utah is going to be playing to win Houston, probably not. And maybe LA not either, but it seems to me, what, what are they, Brian? Are they, are we a half game up? I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think so. Yes. I believe it's a half game. I believe yeah. it's a half game. So we'd have to lose out and, and they w- and the Lakers would need to get two of those games, which I, I just don't think is very likely. So, anyways, it's something to monitor. It depends on where the Hornets pick, or at least where their odds are going into lottery night. All right, that said, yeah, they're tied up. in the loss column. By the way, they're tied at forty-five in the loss column. Hornets have one more win. Her Hornets so. have one more win. Okay, yeah. perfect. What's good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, aka Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA. Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. All right, I, I want to start with Zaire Smith. It, Richie has talked about this guy and, and liked him a lot in the past. Uh, I didn't know a ton about him, to be honest with you. The first time we really covered draft, draft prospects, I've watched a lot of film. Uh, on him the last few weeks, I've I've read up a lot of stuff, and I, I, I he's really growing on me, Richie. He really is. Uh, you talk about a six five guard, um, wing, excellent defender, uh, one of the top defensive win shares player in all of Division one basketball last year. 
he's not even 19 years old yet. Six nine wingspan, explosive athlete. Um, I mean, the one big question mark with Zaire is, you know, what kind of score is he going to be? Um, you know, he's not a quick twitch shooter. Uh, he has a, a high relay. The shot's not broken, but Mm-mm. he has to catch it, set his feet, get the ball in the shooting pocket. I mean, it takes a long time to mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't have a pull up, Jay. Doesn't have um, a lot off the bounce. I mean, he, he's he's certainly in every uh, facet of the word, a, a prospect, a raw prospect um, with some great tools, but he's got a long way to go. I love his potential. I think he could be a longtime starter in the NBA, a long time, really, really, really good defender across probably two or three positions. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know if he's a good fit for Charlotte right now. Uh, I, I just don't think this roster needs one more guy who can't shoot um, in the backcourt on the wing. All that said, you know, depending on what Charlotte does leading up to the draft in terms of trades or you know roster reconstruction, whatever, I think Zaire would be a great pick in a situation where you're able to be patient, know you're going to be bad for two or three years, and just bring this guy along and develop a uh, slow developmental process. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about him a few weeks ago, and – Spencer, you did a good job sort of laying it out there. I don't know how he projects as a, as a scorer on the next level. He certainly seems like a guy that could fit into a lot of offenses, plays heads up, cuts hard, decent mechanics on the shot, pretty compact, I think for the most part, and looks like a guy that could, you know, it's not, he's not, he's not a closeout beater yet, but I think could, could get to that, uh, to that level of, uh, I can, I shoot well enough from beyond the arc that guys, when, when guys are, sprinting at me to run me off the line. I can, uh, he's got to figure out a pull-up game, but I think he could, I think he could get there. Incredible athlete. And he's had some of the highlights of the incident of like tournament, just making plays around the hoop and a fierce defender that Spencer, like you said, and that's so key that he, he's not only is he a great defender, but it looks like he can guard a couple positions and you will see how, what his wingspan measures at, some places have him listed with a six ten wingspan, which is pretty outrageous. So I'm a big Zaire Smith fan. I don't know if he projects to being um, a star in the NBA, but hey, if you're picking at eleven, that's probably nothing you can really you can really hope for. You can't really hope for a future star unless you just close your eyes and get lucky. But I think he is a guy that could be a starter in the NBA for a while with that athleticism and with the. Uh, a shooting form that I think you can build a, a build a, a good complimentary scorer on. And you've warmed up to him, Spencer. I, I've cooled off a little bit because of his shooting and, and his ability to play with the ball in his hands. Uh, but a lot of these qualities that we've mentioned kind of translates or kind of really relates back to last year with, with uh, Donovan Mitchell in terms of him being just this athletic yep. freak, you know, long being defensive minded, some question marks on the offensive end, but you know, I, I do like his ability, like you said, Brian, to, to guard multiple positions. I, I even saw him guard several players down in the post during the NCAA tournament. Uh, and he also guard point guards, so he could be that point of attack defender, or he can body up someone in the post. Uh, you know, somewhat. You know, not not all fours, but I think one through three, he could probably guard pretty comfortably. But uh, he does have those long arms that help him with blocks, help him with those putback dunks. Uh, definitely an athletic guy that just needs to put it all together on the offensive end. But he's he's very team oriented in terms of how he plays mm-hmm. the game, and that just might be because of the of the coach. But I mean, he, he goes out and seeks out you know screens. He goes out and seeks out you know passes. He he is one of those players that's very smart and. and 
works within the team concept and he's not someone that relies on that athletic ability. Yes. Yeah. That, that no, that's <clears throat> Richie. That's very well said. He, he is a winning basketball player in, in terms of doing what needs to be done within the team system to, to get good looks for his teammates, you know, crashing the offensive glass, whatever he's got to do to help out. He's going to be willing to do it. He's, he reminds me of MKG in that way. Mm-hmm. Although they're very different players you know, mentally, uh, they're wired s- similarly, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, so a, a prospect to watch, he, so everybody knows Zaire Smith has declared for the draft, but he has not hired an agent. So <clears throat> he can actually, um, he can revert that decision and come back to school. You know, players have that option. If they hire an agent, they're locked in. Uh, if they don't, um, they can get feedback from teams from the NBA and then they can decide at, and I don't even know what the cutoff date is. I should know that. I should have I think it's June 11th. I think it's, that sounds right. Yeah. I think it's June 11th. I'm pretty sure, which is probably like two weeks or so before the draft, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds right. So they have somewhere, you know, June 11th, June 10th, something like that to make an ultimate decision. If you haven't hired an agent to go back to school or, or enter the draft. So we'll see what kind of feedback Zyre gets. I would imagine it's pretty good. And, you know, he's in that late lottery, mid first round range where I think, you know, honestly, he could probably land in a pretty good situation. I mean, like that's the positive for a guy at his age is that you're not going at the very top of the lottery where you're walking into a situation that could be detrimental, you know, down the road to your career. Mm -hmm. He's going to walk into most likely, um, you know, a team that's competing for the playoffs. Uh, his rookie season. That is, if he can stay away from Phoenix, it's, it's 16 and 17. <laughs> back to back picks. God. But uh, yeah, what a, what a disaster. All right. Um, let's see here. Who? Well, before we do that, let's just kind of recap the NCAA tournament real quick. I'm just going to read off some names here. Brian, you stop me whenever. We can go mm-hmm. down whatever rabbit hole you want here. But these are some of the names I listed as guys. Stock went up following the NCAA tournament. Jalen Brunson, man, mm-hmm. man, man, that guy. Dante DiVincenzo stating the obvious there, uh, you know, turn, turn the world opposite on its axis, uh, last Monday night. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bridges, we talked about him a lot, uh, three and D dream, three and D prospect Villanova. Uh, and then <clears throat> Wagner, uh, Morris Wagner from Michigan. You know, I think he helped himself in the NCAA tournament. Totally. Certainly has some very, very obvious, um, defense. deficiencies. Yeah. Defense. Uh, yeah, Brian, Brian, we're talking about, we're texting about Wagner. I don't know if it was during the national championship game. I think it was. And, and Brian texts back a picture of Frank Kaminsky and that, that thought had never <laughs> crossed my mind. And I immediately, I immediately started sweating and yeah. went anxiety attack. I was like, Oh my God, you're right. That's Frank Kaminsky. It's, it's Frank 2.0. So I think he's a stay away. Thank you, Brian. Guys that stock went down, I would say, and, and this isn't kind of concrete. I'm just throwing out some names. Shea, Gilgis, Alexander. We can talk mm-hmm. about him. I think we need to a little bit more. Um, Diallo, the wing at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just not a fan at all. I don't understand the hype on him. Really. Freaky. Point. He's a, I mean, he, uh, name me like another. What else does thing he do? To, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, DeAndre Hunter. I, I don't. I can't get a feel for what he's going to do, Brian. You might have heard some of the same stuff, but I actually heard he's leaning on coming out, mm-hmm. um, which is disappointing. Wendell Carter, I think eh, that game he had in the Elite Eight against Kansas, just in the Duke system. We talked about this a little bit too, uh, Brian. Duke system was weird in that game. Yeah, great. Grayson Allen shot them out of that game. I would say, but Wendell, Dude. 
No doubt. Need a little bit more from Wendell in that game. Did I he think. foul out uh, in that game, or am I misremembering? He did. Okay. It was, the, it, was he did. The show, it was the. I mean, the last call was yeah. sort of. I didn't think it was a great call, but you was know, not. but maybe don't in that sort of high leverage situation attempt yeah. to take the charge and, right. and put yourself vulnerable right. to That's get right. called for the fifth foul. Yeah, yeah. it was de- it was definitely the not charge. a block, but yeah. yeah, you know, fifty fifty bang bang call. Those ones get go against you sometimes, and then Kyrie Thomas. Um, great like loss in the first round. Love him as a, as He's a player. He actually guy. went to a yeah, yeah. three and D guy. Yeah. I mean, one of the best defenders in this class. Actually, when I was working at Fork Union, coaching at Fork Union, he was um, there. Kyrie was there. So I've, I've mm. played pickup with this guy. Uh, he was amazing at Fork Union his PG year, but I, I can't believe what he's, what he's become at Creighton. And I mean, I can believe it to an extent, but when I say a lockdown wing defender, I, I am, like he he's the real deal in defense so it'd be interesting to see where he goes as a prospect looking like late first round right now but he's yeah. kind of all over the place let's talk about Gilgis alexander i <clears throat> did not like this guy all year just like watching kentucky and spots this year really really thin not a body that's ready for the nba has good length you know mm-hmm. six nine six ten ish uh, wingspan, six um, six. You, you know, I think Gilgis Alexander reminds me of like a Delon Wright, if you yeah, will. Kind of. That's guy. a good comparison. That's um, a really good comparison. He looks like he's going to be able to shoot the ball. He's got some off the bounce wiggle. Uh, you know, he's not explosive. Doesn't have. I mean, he does have a really quick first step, but he's uh, he's by no um, he's in, in, in no way is he an explosive athlete, but. He had there's signs that he could run the show off the bench. I mean, I think he's like at his best, probably a, a good top ten, top fifteen backup point guard in the NBA. So I'm starting to like him more as a prospect because I think you look at his frame, you look at his body, you, you know that stuff's going to improve. <clears throat> you know, when he gets to the NBA, um, he's he's going to be 20 years old by the time next season starts. So he's a little bit older, you know, in terms of freshman in this class. But I just think when you you look at him, I, I don't see like the starting point guard ceiling for Shea. Mm-hmm. So I, I scratch my head a little bit on why he's. If you, I mean, most people think he's a lottery pick, and and I don't understand that narrative completely. Although I still kind of like him as a prospect. Does that make sense? Bro? No, totally. His, his stock, I I think I think we can all probably agree, it jumped pretty significantly. Uh, you know, I I thought as the really the the back end of the, you know, the back end back end of the year, and he had some good moments in the tournament and that probably helped his case a little bit. He is a combo guard. I don't, and he was playing a lot of point this season for Kentucky out of really out of necessity. And I think he and Kevin Knox had to eat a lot of um, not great possessions for Kentucky simply because they just didn't have a whole lot of other offense other than those two guys just sort of trying to create. He has a decent handle, not great. Um, The shot is probably a little bit of a question mark, although his numbers off the catch are pretty good. 68% effective shooting on a small sample at, but just a low volume, which is a bit of a red flag shot 41% off the dribble, which is pretty good, but they're almost exclusively long twos. So that's a concern ran a lot of pick and roll and shot pretty well out of the pick and roll 52%. And in general, uh, yeah, here we go. Ran 500 pick and rolls this season at Kentucky, either a shooting or passing, um, 0.99 points per possession, top 40 
amongst division one players with at least 300 pick and roll possessions. So there's, there's some intrigue with, uh, with SGA. And here's another question to, to both of you guys. Do you think, you know, how do you think he pairs with monk? And do you think that's something that the Hornets need to consider going forward a little bit more, especially after maybe Malik's played the last month. Do you need to start figuring out how these pieces might fit around last year's first round draft pick? And if so, is Alexander the kind of guy that could either in a supporting role coming off the bench or, you know, those two guys starting next to one another for, for the next decade? You know, what do you guys think about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, I think you need the number one, fit question has to be how does whatever prospect we're evaluating fit with monk you know because i think that's you know you're kind of your one sure thing moving forward i mean certainly you can you know throw bacon in there if you if you think he's going to yeah, develop right. into a starter or, or yeah. a key player here but um yeah i i mean i and that's another reason i just don't i don't love jay is mm-hmm. that slight frame i mean 180 pounds at six six yep. um he's got a long way to go man and I just I don't I don't like him next to Monk. I mean I don't think we can say the same for Monk that this guy's just going to get in the gym and put on you know fifteen twenty pounds of muscle. I, I just don't I don't think his body's built like that. And I I would say the same thing about Shea. I mean it's just he's so skinny mm-hmm. um, that yeah you can put muscle mass on, but like how much some guys' bodies just don't allow him to do it. Um, but but so much and he looks like he has that kind of frame, which which worries me. I don't think he's a great fit with, with Monk. Um, I think a guy like Zyre Smith is a much better fit. Mm-hmm. I think a guy like Michael Bridges is a fantastic fit. Um, I mean, that's obviously the dream scenario, I think, for uh, for the Hornets right now. I think even a guy like Kevin Knox is a better fit with Monk just because of his size. At least you can match up better. Um, and that's going to be – I mean, it's. I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan, because that's going to be one of the biggest – key the uh roster construction questions the hornets have to answer consistently is if we're if monk is going to play big minutes and he's going to have to play those big minutes as a combo guard so meaning those minutes with a true point guard on the floor then we got to be able to match up defensively mm-hmm. and how so what you put around him at six three as a shooting guard is very very important you can't just put another can't put another weak defender on, on the wing in other words. Um, and so it's something to consider, you know, when looking at some of these guys, <clears throat> you know, real quickly. And then let's talk about Monk for a minute here. Um, Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo, um, two guys that I think anybody would like to have on their team. We'll see what DiVincenzo ends up doing. He, he might end up staying in school, but Jalen Brunson, oh man, I, <laughs> I would love for that guy to be in Charlotte. And I think when we talk about a, a good fit around Monk, you know, I know they're both six three, about the same size, but like Brunson is the type style of player. Hard nose working. You can tough. put him on the ball, tough. He's the kind of guy that needs to play next to Monk to me. I, I love too the Villanova they do this with Michael Bridges too, but it's it's crazy for Brunson now. He's in his third year in that system too. But he already knows how to post up a little bit and run offense through him. 15 feet out from the hoop with his back to the basket. I mean, it's such a, that's such a pro move to have for a guy that's not imposing in terms of his, his height or his, his length or, or, or his build. I mean, he's, he's, he's certainly not skinny. Uh, He's got some, some, Uh some size, he's got some muscle to him, but he's, it's not like he's, you know, Rashad McCants or, 
years ago, Kalina Azabuki come out of Kentucky. Those guys looked like they were on, you know, uh, a certain kind of diet in college that, uh, so it's, it's not that, but nah, I, I love this guy's game. And I think he, his stock, I think he's already started floating into the back the last you know, five, six picks of the first round and a lot of mock drafts. Now, I also like the fact that he has experience. I talked about this with bridges before too, of playing in this sort of spacey flowy offense, read, react, shoot a lot of threes. I think that helps. Um, I think that could help his trans tra- transition to the NBA. And I, I think some people are, are mixed on ter- in terms of his, in terms of his ability to make shots. I feel like that guy hits a lot of tough contested deep threes too. I, maybe I'm, I'm missing something that other people are, but I, I think his shot making is, is, is pretty, pretty impressive too. So he's a guy, I guess he could, has he decided on whether he's going to come out yet or not? I would need to, to double check that, but he, he certainly he isn't announced okay. uh, along with Mike Bridges and DiVincenzo. None of them have actually announced, but Brunson mm-hmm. bridges, everyone saying, yeah, they're coming they're, out. Okay. That nah, makes sense. I mean, he look player of the year and he won a championship his second of his career. The guy's done literally everything he could do accomplish. Um, it would be sort of showing off if he came back and won another title. So I think he's a guy that again, sort of like we were talking about uh, a second ago with um, pardon me with Kyrie Thomas, but if, if he ends up in there, you could just see him helping a, a team next season, you know, yeah, because those no guys, doubt. those yeah. guys are three, four years out of high school already. And if they're getting drafted at 25 or 26, they just seem like guys that could be plug them in. And those guys can go help you win games next season. Yeah. You know, who needs to like get off the pot and draft a guy like that is a team like Phoenix with 16 or 17. Yeah. I mean, I can yeah. see Brunson actually getting higher than that just because he's such a freaking winning player. I mean, I just love watching mm-hmm. that guy play basketball, but like, I swear if he falls to the end of the first round, and somebody like Golden State or or <laughs> Spurs, Philadelphia man. or Spurs. Boston or yeah or, or San Antonio picks him, I'm gonna lose my mind. Like, yeah. h- how can we not figure this out? Like, come on, teams that suck, we perpetually this, just draft a guy that's a winning player like this. Like, it's not that hard. I don't care it, how old he is. This always happens with the Spurs too, where. People are like, oh man, it's going to be so annoying with this guy. You know, teams will f- say this stuff. They'll, oh, it's so annoying that the Spurs are going to end up with this guy. And it's like, you guys are drafting before them. You, <laughs> you, you could actually, you were the one, you were the only person that could stop this from happening. Don't complain about it before. It's not an inevitability that they're going to get Kyle Anderson at number 30 and he's going to turn <laughs> into a, a good player in a couple of years. And look at him now. They're, the Spurs have found their stride with him as their small ball for starting for them. No a surprise to literally no one that pays attention to basketball. So yeah, I, I know what you mean about these guys. They're just, they're winning players that make winning plays. And if they end up in the right situations, it's going to be hilarious when we look around and this, you know, the sun's drafted another 19 year old and continue to flounder in the desert. Hey, quick thought on, on D Vincenzo. Like if, if he has any aspirations of playing in the NBA, why wouldn't he come out this year? What's, yeah, what's the never, purpose stock's of staying? never going to be higher. Right. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean I he's got to come you. out. Well, I, I agree, but I think the, I, the train of thought with him would be, and this is what Brian and I were kind of talking about with Travion Duvall. You and I don't agree on that one, Brian. I think he should have mm-hmm. stayed. You're like, yeah, I think he should have come out. I think it was good. Anyways, it's a different story. But with D Vincenzo, in that Villanova system, I don't think there's a system where NBA scouts look at and they say, we're getting a guy who knows how to play the game at an extreme and think the game in an extremely high level, like we're getting, especially guards out of mm-hmm. Villanova. Yep. And 
so when you think about that, you think Bronson's leaving, Bridges is leaving, DiVincenzo gets to be the guy next year. Um, you know, the only thing he's risking at that point to me, because they're still going to have a great front court and a lot of pieces around him, um, is Bellman. if he gets yeah getting injured, you know, if he gets hurt. But being the guy, he comes back, puts up big numbers next year in the best system in college basketball. If you want to debate that with me, I'm happy to bury you on that one. But nobody does it like Villanova. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That read and react system is just the best, and mm-hmm. it translates to the NBA fantastically. So thinking about it from that perspective, I think DiVincenzo actually should come back. But I get what you're saying about there's a good chance his stock will never be higher, so no. why shouldn't he? Right, right. And I guess the real question is, all joking aside, do they have a white guy that can shoot that can fill in his role? If not, maybe he should yeah, stay. Gill- uh, Gillespie or Gillisley or okay. whatever that other – It's a mandate by God in the Catholic Church that Villanova <laughs> always have one always have one, one like white sniper that's in the top seven of their rotation to I mean, make big shots for them. I thought it was. I thought it was. Um, who was the guard they had the year before? Archie Diakono. I can't say his last name. Yeah, yeah. Archie Diakono yeah. or whatever. Ryan Archie Diakono. Yeah. yeah, Archie Diakono. I was like, wait, is is he still at Nova? I was like, why is he starting? <laughs> he was a stud last year. I was like, oh wait, that's not him. Gillsley or whatever. But yeah, I mean, Jay Wright and Richie. You brought up a great point. We're on our group text the other night, and Richie's like. Just, just wondering, what do you guys think about Jay Wright in the NBA? And then, like, literally five minutes later, I think Mark Stein or somebody yep. was like, some report about Jay Wright. You know, it's time to start talking about him in the NBA. So you're on it, man. So uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I don't know. I think DiVincenzo should come back. Just my personal opinion. But I completely understand what you're saying about, hey, why not come out? Your stock's freaking as high as it's going to get. Didn't uh, – wasn't the – you know, Monk had that big dunk on the Bulls a couple nights ago – didn't he go? Didn't he blow by yeah. Diakono on that yeah, yeah, play yeah. too? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. He Amazing was on roster. Yeah, he played like thirty minutes that night. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the late season NBA, especially on these tank teams, is just. Uh, I have to. These rosters are amazing, man. Yeah, I mean, Orlando I, last night was such a joke. I mean, that it's a G League team plus Spates, Shelvin Mack. Bismack Biombo, like those are these are the NBA players. It, it's it's right. absolutely incredible that they've constructed a team like this. Space was probably but loving it. If you're going yeah, to tank to that level, like why, why are you, why is DJ Augustine playing that amount of time and Maurice Spates? <laughs> like why, why are you playing those guys? I mean, at that point, just play all young players. You know, yeah, it's right. It's, it's all right. Well, let's let's talk about that game real briefly, and then that that'll transit transition us into what we got to end with here because. We're right up against our uh, our time span. So the Hornets went 137-100 uh, offensive showcase. They 17 of 31 from behind the arc. And our boy Malik Monk, 26 points in 26 minutes, uh, 8 of 14 from the field, 4 of 6 from behind the arc, 8 assists to go along with one turnover, uh, plus 23. He was fantastic last night, uh, again, against, you know, a, a JV G League team. But nonetheless, these are these are great signs for Monk, who continues to play very well um, in the minutes he's gotten off the bench and starting to, starting to show some real promise. Um, mm-hmm. Brian, what did you note last night for Monk? And, well, actually, I should preface this. Brian did a column on Sports Channel 8, dropped yesterday, Lots of good film about Monk. Lots of good thoughts about Monk. I did a Twitter thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know Thursday. I don't even remember where, when it was. Now what day is today? Um, <laughs> talking about Monk's recent play and how good it's been. So we've got some stuff out there if you guys want to check that out. Brian, what has made Monk better in these past, say, fifteen games? 
Yeah, I just think it's the, the the shot profile and the willingness to go to go all the way to the rim on on, on ISO situations or or out of the pick and roll, and some really encouraging stuff to see the last twelve games, uh, last dozen games from Malik Monk, including last night, twelve of twenty eight on catch and shoot threes, forty three percent, sixteen of thirty seven on pull up threes, forty three percent, and that look those pull up threes were such a big part of his game. Uh, at Kentucky in college, still taking a fair amount of pull-up twos, 28, seven of 28, uh, 25% shooting. Those have been 24% of his field goal attempts over the last dozen games, still a little high, but, um, and he's still shooting a lot after taking seven plus dribbles, but he's handling the ball a little bit more and bringing it up across the court. So th- those numbers are probably skewed, um, a little bit. The last dozen games, 27% of his field goal attempts have come after seven plus dribbles, uh, for the season, that's at 21%, 50% effective shooting on those attempts, which is pretty good. Um, getting to the rim a little bit more 12 of 21 over the last 12 games, uh, 57% in the restricted area. That's not, that, that's not setting the world on fire, but that's an improvement at 16% of his field goal attempts. 21 of 134 have come inside of four feet, 16% slight improvement. Um, over uh, over his season average. And again, even though he's been getting to the rim a little bit more, he's even trying out a little more of a floater game, which is hasn't gone gone great. He's three of 15 shooting in the paint, non-restricted area over the last 12 games. And he tried, he tried a left-handed floater against Philadelphia over in bead that had, I mean, you may as well have been trying to shoot this thing blindfolded with like his legs tied together, just like a 0% chance of that shot ever going in trying to shoot over that monster. And then he airballed a floater with his right hand later in that game. But at least he's, he's, he's playing with some, I think some improved wiggle off the pick and roll. The vision's always been pretty good. Mm-hmm. He's not, qu- he's not really getting to the line a lot. Spencer, you pointed this out to me on Twitter uh, on Thursday, I think only eight free throw attempts in the last 10, 12 games. I mean, he's not drawing a ton of contact and that's got to get better. But the fact that he is getting to the rim more in some of these finishes, I mean, the dunk that we were referring to against the bulls is nasty. And he had another, and this was not off a, this was not off the bounce. It was like, uh, it was against the Knicks in Charlotte a couple weeks ago where he set a down screen for Frank, both defenders rushed out and then he slipped to the hoop, yep. <clears throat> caught it and that. flushed it. I mean, it was nasty. And he had another finish off the pick and roll sort of like uh, it was, it was sort of like over and around Saturansky and Beal against in the wizards game recently, that was absolutely filthy. So the, the artistry on some of these finishes has been really, really fun, promising and fun to watch and uh, sort of revert to revert back to last 12 games, 29 of 66 on above the break threes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically half of his field goal attempts have been above the break threes. And he shot 44% on those. Um, again, all this is against some of this is against not great competition like Orlando the other night and like the Knicks game we were just referring to in the bulls game. But I think after a rough season in which he had to sit on the bench for the vast majority of it, some really good stuff and some encouraging stuff from Malik Monk out of the pick and roll and in shooting both off the dribble and on the catch uh, for the Hornets to close out the season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you said it perfectly there, Brian. Um, you know, the only thing I'll add his pull up game, especially above the break three wise. I mean, it's been, it's been fantastic. It's mm-hmm. such an important fold of Malik Monk's 
offensive game. Um, he's been a more willing driver. Um, you know, you, you brought up all the, you know, all the positives about how he can finish at the rim, Brian. I, I think he just depends on quickness, athleticism, and his vertical right now to finish at the rim. So there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of skill involved in that. Mm-hmm. His footwork isn't good. You know, when he learns to probe the defense a little bit more, keep that dribble alive, get that dribble lower, um, mm-hmm. gets it stripped a lot because he just he just thinks that first step and that that long stride, athletic stride, is going to get him by everybody. Uh, it doesn't. He gets it stolen a lot with that high dribble, and then when he gets in there, he he uses two steps. You know, it's just one, yeah. two, and he's shooting it. So that's a floater. That's a high off the glass. That's a fadeaway runner, something, whatever you want to call it. So there's just not a lot of skill there. He doesn't have that. Keep the dribble alive. Euro step one more to get, you know, one more action to get to that second option. He, he hasn't developed that yet, but that's okay. That's going to mm-hmm. come. Um, the fact that he's just driving the basketball to the rim more and not settling for that contested three or that one dribble, two dribble, you know, fade away along too is a really good sign for him. And look, all of a sudden, as much as Malik Monk has struggled this year shooting the ball, blink, and he's almost a 35% shooter from behind the arc for the season, which he is really doing some uh, some fantastic uh, re- re- relief efforts to save that percentage yeah. as we get down to the end of the season. <laughs> so, um, so, anyways, yeah, and he's been exciting to watch. I'm glad he's getting these minutes late season. I know a lot of people are frustrated because it feels like a little bit of a lost season, but like, look, it's the way Steve clever does it. Monk had that ankle injury last summer. It hurt, mm-hmm. you know, his developmental, um, opportunity and it took his minutes away and that it is what it is. So Brian, I think brought up a great point in your piece yesterday on sports channel eight, that this summer is going to be very, very important for him. Mm-hmm. I think, I think he's poised to have a big summer. I mean, it doesn't mean it, it'll, it'll definitely happen, but I think you could see him going into Vegas with some confidence, assuming he plays in Vegas summer league, which he should. And I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful to see again, one of the things that we talked more about cup check, I think he's got to, one of the things Mitch has got to do, assuming he gets the job is figure out a squad for summer league that includes monk and bacon, the other first round draft pick and, and probably earning Gomez. Like those guys got to play together as much as they possibly can. There's been yes. some positive trends late again, some against some bad competition late in the season, but some, some promising stuff. I think another important thing with Malik is it's sort of because he takes a lot of these pull up twos. It's, it's not out of selfishness. It's it's his shot selection's not great, but it's not that he's not looking to get guys involved and he's just like looking for his own shot. The guy is a passer and he's got, yes. he's got great vision. I mean, he, he sees, he's still got to figure out looking weak side to shooters in the corners a little bit, but he gets the lob game. I mean, almost as well as you know, Kemba, you know, Kemba's not amazing at the, the pick and roll, let Dwight go catch the oop and stuff like that. Um, I think he's, he's had a few, he's had some turnover issues to close out the season, but some of those have been just bad luck. Like, you know, he had a steal and stepped on the end line or something like, like some of it, they haven't been like, Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a bad decision or situationally he made a mistake and he's had a couple pocket passes picked off. But the fact that he's like looking to make those types of passes, look, not everyone's Chris Paul out of college, you know, and he played a lot of two guard at Kentucky playing next to De'Aaron Fox. So he's sort of, and I guess he played point in high school, but he's sort of relearning this position at the highest of levels. And I just like the fact that he's trying that stuff out. And then maybe one last thing I'll say on Monk. It's been fun watching he and, and Beely Hernan Gomez play together. Uh, I think those guys have fun pick and roll chemistry. 
they had a really nice finish between the two of them. The first play of the fourth quarter last night against Orlando, right out of the timeout, pick and roll dunk for Ernan Gomez off a of feed from from Malik. And I think their chemistry in the in the DHO game with Ernan Gomez handling and, and setting screens for Monk and, and rolling and slipping and I just think those guys have, there's some Beely's played very well for Charlotte to close out the season. Um, he shot 66% in the restricted area over the last 15 games, only two mid range attempts. He's taken three corner threes. He's made two of those 16% offensive rebound rate over the last 15 games, 31% defensive rebounding rate over the last 15 games. And with those two on the court with Monk, and Ernan Gomez together, Hornets scoring 114, or pardon me, with just Ernan Gomez on the court, the last 15 games, Hornets scoring above 114 points per 100 possessions, the last 15 games. Um, I think he and Monk, it's been fun watching those two guys play together. And I think Ernan Gomez has shown more, like he's exceeded my expectations for him after the trade uh, midseason with the, with the Knicks. Yeah, and I, I think it's a great point what you brought up about these guys having to play together as much as possible. And yeah, don't be surprised if Monk, Bacon, and Hernan Gomez all play in Vegas this summer. And mm-hmm. hey, we have that to look forward to. Maybe we're going to win the Summer League Championship. That's pretty good. Yeah, good, good, good roster for Summer League. But yeah, Hernan Gomez and Monk have, have really have a, a good synergy going right now. Um, Brian, you brought up the, uh, the DHO. Um, it's been an important part of developing Monk and, and getting him open looks while also allowing him to make reads, you know, cause Willie is, he can move, man. That guy can really move. Yeah. He's a pretty good screen yeah. setter. He's got great hands. I mean, you can throw him a, a rocket and Willie's going to catch it and he's going to finish it. And he's got good footwork. I mean, the, those three names right there, Malik mm-hmm. Monk, Dwayne Bacon, Willie Hernan Gomez, like the, that's what you have in the developmental basket right now. If you're the Hornets, I mean, like that's, on cheap contracts with the opportunity to, you know, you have rights on all these players. Yep. So they're, they're really important pieces. Uh, and I think it's a great point. So if you didn't read Brian's piece, go to sports channel eight and check that out. Um, a lot of great stuff on monk Dwayne bacon. I know we kind of planned to talk about him a little bit guys, but I don't, he's been hurt. You know, he was out mm-hmm. again last night with this, uh, what is it? Ankle injury, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know that he's going to play anymore this season uh, of note doesn't look like Cody Zeller is going to be back out there this season. So, you know, without the Hornets actually saying it, and I was trying to dig some information on this last few weeks, I couldn't get anything solid, but uh, I'd heard they were going to just shut him down without actually saying it. And that's what's happened. So mm-hmm. um, he looks like he's done for the year. Um, and uh, you know, it looks like Kimba Dwight, the rest of the ragtag groups going to probably play minutes <laughs> throughout these last two games, but at least, we're getting monks and minutes and getting mm-hmm. to see what Willie can do. Um, and last night was, was really a good sign. All right. Uh, Brian's got to go do more important things like talk on a two hour radio show with sports channel eight while Richie and I just go about our, our slum dog Saturdays. But um, <laughs> do not forget, we are a proud member of the almighty baller radio network. So check out almighty baller.com uh, for a lot of great content across the NBA and tune in. Look, if you're in the triangle area, 99.9, check out the sports channel eight radio show. Just remember Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon. If you're in the triangle area, just put it into your calendar. All right. Don't, mm-hmm. don't ask questions. Just do it right now. And yeah, as we get, as we, and look, if you like buzz beat, you know, as we get in closer to draft time in, in Vegas summer league, I mean, we're going to find ways to have, you know, the, 
this come to the sports channel like the radio show have Busby come to that and, and and bring some hornets coverage to the triangle I'm, I'm excited to do that too so if you're a fan of Buzzbeat, i think you'll enjoy the radio show as well awesome we're well, looking forward to it um good stuff as always uh go enjoy your saturdays and enjoy the masters if you get a chance yeah. to watch that i'll be checking that out this afternoon a little bit too all right guys uh good stuff until next time uh appreciate everybody that listens um go go draft season mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from movement whether your mom is into classic dress watches rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers movement has something she'll love And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.